0: Chapter Fourteen of Fidelity by Susan Glaspell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Despite the fact that he knew he was going to be late getting home for dinner, Dr. Franklin was sending his car very slowly along the twelve mile stretch of road that lay between him and home. This was not so much because it was beautiful country through which he went, and the spring freshness and the softness of late afternoon was grateful to him, nor because too tired for any kind of hurrying as it was that he did not want to cover those twelve miles before he had thought out what he was going to say to Amy. He had seen Ruth that afternoon. He went, as usual, to see her father, and as he entered the room Ruth was sitting beside the bed. She sat with her back to him and did not seem to know at once that he was there. She was bending forward, elbow on her knee, hand to her face, looking at her father who was asleep, or rather in that stupor with which death reaches out into life through which the living are drawn to the dead. She was sitting very still, intent, as she watched the man whom life was letting go. He had not seen Ruth since that night, eleven years before, when she clung to him as she saw the headlight of her train, then turned from him to the car that was to carry her away from the whole world she knew. It had seemed that the best of life was pulling away from him as he heard her train pull out. He fairly ran away from the sound of it—not alone because it was taking Ruth out of his own life but because it was bearing her to a country where the way would be too hard. He knew that that way had been hard, that the years had not spared her, and yet there had been a little shock when he saw Ruth that afternoon. He knew now that his fears for her had rather given themselves a colour of romance. She looked worn, as if she had worked, and, just at first, before she saw him, she looked older than it would seem that number of years should make her. But when she heard him and turned, Coming to him with outstretched hand, it was as it used to be—feeling, illumining, transforming her. She was the old flaming Ruth then, the years that lined her defied. Her eyes—it was like a steady light shining through trembling waters. No one else ever gave him that impression Ruth did of a certain deep steadiness through changing feeling. He had thought he remembered just how wonderful Ruth's eyes were, how feeling flamed in them, and that steady understanding looked through from her to him that bridge between separateness. But they were newly wonderful to him. So live, so tender, so potent. She had been very quiet thinking back to it, he pondered that. It seemed not alone the quiet that comes with the acceptance of death, the quiet that is the subduing effect of strange or moving circumstances, but an inner quiet, a quiet of power. The years had taken something from Ruth, but Ruth had won much from them. She was worn, a little dimmed, but deepened. A tragedy queen she was not. He had a little smile for himself, for that subconscious romantic expectation that gave him, just at the first, a little shock of disappointment when he saw Ruth. A tragedy queen would hold herself more imposingly, and would have taken better care of her hands. But that moment of a lighted way between Ruth and him could let him afford to smile at disappointed romantic expectation. He had been there for only a few minutes, having the long trip out in the country to make. Ruth and Ted seemed to be alone in the house. He asked her if she had seen Harriet, and she answered simply, not yet. She had said, you're married, Dean, and happy, I'm so glad. That, too, she had said very simply. It was real, direct. As he thought of it now, it was as if life had simplified her. She had let slip from her, like useless garments, all those blurring artificialities that keep people apart. As usual he would go over again that evening to see his patient, and then he would remain for a visit with Ruth. And he wanted to take Amy with him. He would not let himself realize just how much he wanted to do that, how much he would hate not doing it. He was thinking it out, trying to arrive at the best way of putting it to Amy. If only he could make it seem to her the simple thing it was to him. He would be so happy to do this for Ruth, but it was more than that. It was that he wanted to bring Amy within—within that feeling of his about Ruth. He wanted her to share in that. He could not bear to leave it a thing from which she was apart, to which she was hostile. He could not have said just why he felt it so important Amy become a part of what he felt about Ruth. When at last they were together over their unusually late dinner, the thing he wanted to say seemed to grow more difficult because Amy was so much dressed up. In her gown of that afternoon she looked so much the society person that what he had in mind somehow grew less simple. And there was that in her manner, too—like her clothes it seemed a society manner—to make it less easy to attempt to take her into things outside the conventional round of life. He felt a little helpless before this self-contained lovely young person. She did not seem easy to get at. Somehow she seemed to be apart from him. There was a real wistfulness in his desire to take her into what to him were things real and important. It seemed, if he could not do that now, that Amy would always be a little apart from him. Her talk was of the tea that afternoon—who was there, what they wore, what they had said to her, how the house looked, how lovely Mrs. Lawrence and Edith were. What he was thinking was that it was Ruth's old crowd had assembled there, at Edith's house, to be gracious to Amy that afternoon. She mentioned this name and that, Girls Ruth had grown up with, girls who had known her so well and cared for her. And Ruth—had they spoken of her? Did they know she was home? If they did, did it leave them all unmoved? He thought of the easy, pleasant way life had gone with most of those old friends of Ruth's. Had they neither the imagination nor the heart to go out in the thought of the different thing it had been to her? He supposed not. Certainly they had given no evidence of any such disposition. It hardened him against them. He hated the thought of the gay tea given for Amy that afternoon when Ruth, just back after all those years away, was home alone with her father, who was dying. Amy they were taking in so graciously, because things had gone right with her. Ruth, whom they knew, who had been one of them, they left completely out. There flamed up a desire to take Amy with him, as against them, to show them that she was sweeter and larger than they, that she understood and put no false value on a cordiality that left the heart hard. But Amy looked so much one of them, seemed so much one with them in her talk about them, that he put off what he wanted to say, listening to her. And yet, he assured himself, that was not the whole of Amy. He softened and took heart in the thought of her tenderness in moments of love, her sweetness when the world fell away and they were man and woman to each other. Those real things were stronger in her than this crust of worldliness. He would reach through that to the life that glowed behind it. If he only had the skill, the understanding, to reach through that crust to the life within, to that which was real, she would understand that the very thing bringing them their happiness was the thing which in Ruth put her apart from her friends. She would be larger, more tender than those others. He wanted that triumph for her over them. He would glory in it so. There would be such pride in showing Amy to Ruth as a woman who was real. And most of all, because it was a thing so deep in his own life, He wanted Amy to come within, to know from within his feeling about Ruth. "'You know, dear, that was Ruth's old crowd you are meeting this afternoon,' he finally said. He saw her instantly stiffen. Her mouth looked actually hard. That, he quickly told himself, was what those people had done to her. "'And that house,' he went on, his voice remaining quiet, "'was like another home to Ruth.' Amy cleared her throat. "'She didn't make a very good return for the hospitality, do you think?' she asked sharply. Flushing, he started to reply to that, but instead asked abruptly, "'Does Edith know that Ruth is home?' "'Yes,' Amy replied coldly. "'They were speaking of her.' "'Speaking of her?' he scoffed. "'I suppose you would think,' she flamed, "'that they ought to have met her at the train.' "'The idea doesn't seem to me preposterous,' he answered. "'Feeling the coldness in his own voice,' He realized how he was at the very start getting away from the thing he wanted to do, was estranging Amy by his resentment of her feeling about a thing she did not understand. After all—as before, he quickly made this excuse for her—what more natural than that she should take on the feeling of these people she was thrown with, particularly when they were so very kindly in their reception of her. "'Dear,' he began again, "'I saw Ruth this afternoon. She seems so alone there. She's gone through such—such hard things. It's a pretty sad homecoming for her. I'm going over there again this evening, and, Amy dear, I do so want you to go with me." Amy did not reply. He had not looked at her after he began speaking, not wanting to lose either his courage or his temper in seeing that stiffening in her. He did not look at her now even though she did not speak. "'I want you to go, Amy. I ask you to. I want it, you don't know how much. I'm terribly sorry for Ruth. I knew her very well, we were very close friends. Now that she is here and in trouble, and so lonely, I want to take my wife to see her." As even then she remained silent he turned to her. She sat very straight, red spots burned in her cheeks and there was a light in her eyes he had never seen there before. She pushed back her chair excitedly. "'And may I ask—' her voice was high, tight—'if you see nothing insulting to your wife in this—proposal for an instant he just stared at her. Insulting, he faltered. I—I— He stopped, helpless, and helplessly sat looking at her, sitting erect, breathing fast, face and eyes aflame with anger. And in that moment something in his heart fell back. A desire that had been dear to him, a thing that had seemed so beautiful and so necessary, somehow just crept back where it could not be so much hurt. At the sight of her— Hard, scornful, so sure in her hardness, that high desire of his love that she share his feeling fell back. And then to his disappointment was added anger for Ruth. Through the year's anger against so many people had leaped up in him because of their hardness to Ruth. That, as of itself, it leaped up against Amy now. "'No,' he said, his voice hard now, too. "'I must say I see nothing insulting in asking you to go with me to see Ruth Holland.' "'Oh, you don't!' she cried a woman living with another woman's husband. Why, this very afternoon I was with the wife of the man that woman is living with. She is the woman I would meet. And you can ask me, your wife, to go and see a woman who turned her back on society, on decency, a woman her own family cast out and all decent people turn away from." She paused, struggling, unable to keep her dignity and yet say the things rushing up to be said. He had grown red, as he always did when people talked that way about Ruth. "'Of course,' he made himself say it quietly, "'she isn't those things to me, you know. She's quite other things to me.'" "'I'd like to know what she is to you,' Amy cried. "'It's very strange you're standing up for her against the whole town.'" He did not reply. It was impossible to tell Amy, when she was like this, what Ruth had been—was, to him. She looked at him as he sat there silent. And this was the man she had married—a man who could treat her like this asking her to go and see a woman who wasn't respectable. Why, who was as far from respectable as a woman could be. This was the man for whom she had left her mother and father—and a home better than this home, certainly. Yes, and that other man who had wanted her and who had so much more to offer. He respected her. He would never ask her to go and see a woman who wasn't decent. But she had married for love—had given up all those other things that she might have love. And now—her throat tightened and it was hard to hold back tears and then suddenly she wanted to go over to Dean, slip down beside him, put her arms around him, tell him that she loved him and ask him to please tell her that he loved her. But there was so strange an expression on his face. It checked that warm loving impulse, holding her where she was, hard. What was he thinking about, that woman? He had so strange a look. She did not believe it had anything to do with her. No, he had forgotten her. It was this other woman. Why, he was in love with her, of course. He had always been in love with her." Because it seemed the idea would break her heart, because she could not bear it, it was scoffingly that she threw out. "'You were in love with her, I suppose. You've always been in love with her, haven't you?' "'Yes, Amy,' he answered. "'I was in love with Ruth. I loved her—at any rate, I sorrowed for her—until the day I met you.' His voice was slow and sad—the whole sadness of it all all the sadness of a world in which men and women loved and hurt each other seemed closing in around him. He did not seem able to rise out of it, to go out to her. It was as if his new disappointment brought back all the hurt of old ones. Young, all experienced in the ways of adjusting love to life, of saving it for life, the love in her tried to shoot through the self-love that closed her in, holding her tight. She wanted to follow that impulse, go over and put her arms around her husband, let her kisses drive away that look of sadness. She knew that she could do it, that she ought to do it, that she would be sorry for not having done it. But she couldn't. Love did not know how to fight its way through pride. He had risen. I must go. I have a number of calls to make. I—I'm sorry you feel as you do, Amy. He was not going to explain. He was just leaving her outside it all. He didn't care for her really at all—just took her because he couldn't get that other woman took her, Amy Forrester, because he couldn't get the woman he wanted. Great bands of incensed pride bound her heart now, closing in the love that had fluttered there. Her face, twisted with varying emotions, was fairly ugly as she cried, "'Well, I must say, I wish you had told me this before we were married!' He looked at her in surprise. Then, surprised anew, looked quickly away. Feeling that he had failed, he tried to put it aside lightly. "'Oh, come now, Amy, You didn't think, did you, that you could marry a man of thirty-four who had never loved any woman?" "'I should like to think he had loved a respectable woman,' she cried, wounded anew by this lightness, unable to hold back things she miserably knew she would be sorry she had not held back. And if he had loved that kind of a woman—did love her—I should like to think he had too much respect for his wife to ask her to meet such a person. "'Ruth Holland is not a woman to speak like that about Amy,' he said with unconcealed anger she's not a decent woman. She's not a respectable woman. She's a bad woman. She's a low woman. She could not hold it back. She knew she looked unlovely, knew she was saying things that would not make her loved. She could not help it. Dean turned away from her. After a minute he got a little control of himself, and instead of the hot things that had flashed up, said coldly, "'I don't think you know what you're talking about.' "'Of course I couldn't hope to know as much as she does,' she jeered. However,' she went on, with more of a semblance of dignity. I do know a few things. I know that society cannot countenance a woman who did what that woman did. I know that if a woman is going to selfishly take her own happiness with no thought of others, she must expect to find herself outside the lives of decent people. Society must protect itself against such persons as she. I know that much, fortunately." Her words fortified her. She certainly was in the right she felt that she had behind her all those women of that afternoon. Did any of them receive Ruth Holland? Did they not all see that society must close in against the individual who defied it? She felt supported. For the minute he stood there looking at her, so absolutely unyielding, so satisfied in her conclusions, those same things about society and the individual that he had heard from the rest of them, like the rest of them so satisfied with the law she had laid down, law justifying hardness of heart and closing in against the sorrow of a particular human life. From Amy now that same look, those same words. For a little time he did not speak. "'I'm awfully sorry, Amy,' was all he said then. He stood there in miserable embarrassment. He always kissed her good-bye. She saw his hesitancy and turned to the other room. "'Hadn't you better hurry?' she laughed. "'You have so many calls to make, and some of them so important.' End of chapter 14